0: We are pleased to have with us President Boyd K. Packer, President of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He was set apart to this position on February 3rd of 2008. Previously, he was the Acting President of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. President Packer was ordained an apostle on April 9, 1970, and prior to that time he served for almost nine years as an assistant to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. President Packer is an educator by profession. His career includes service as a supervisor of seminary and institutes of religion for the Church and as a member of the Administrative Council of Brigham Young University. He studied at Weber College and subsequently received his Bachelor of Science and Master of Science degrees from Utah State University. He received a doctorate in Educational Administration from Brigham Young University. President Packer was born in Brigham City, Utah. He served as a bomber pilot during World War II in the Pacific Theater. He served as president of the New England Mission, and he has authored a number of books and other published works and is an artist with a particular interest in birds. President Packer is married to the former Donna Smith, and they are parents of ten children. And now we will be pleased to hear from President Boyd K. Packer.
1: Thank you, President Samuelson, and thank you for that wonderful music. Since I received this assignment from the First Presidency, I've read carefully and the theme and pondered and prayed. I've reviewed the catalog listing more than 1,000 classes and the names of the instructors. There's a good feeling to all of it, and I've come this morning to teach. When we presided over the New England Mission, we lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Across the street lived Dr. Carl J. Friedrich, a retired Harvard professor, a world-renowned scholar. We sent our boys over to clear their sidewalk of snow. That opened contact with them. When Donna's parents came to visit at Christmas, the Friedrichs invited us over for the lighting of their Christmas tree an old-fashioned tree with wax candles alight. It was a very beautiful experience. While visiting one day with Dr. Friedrich, he told me of the academic degrees from European universities. He became very agitated and said that it it really irritated him when people asked what was he going to do with all the knowledge he'd gained. He answered sharply, why should I have to do anything with it? Well, I know that you have something to do with the knowledge that you will gain in this great education week for yourself, for your family, and for the Church. You are learning much at this great conference. I do not know who wrote these meaningful lines, but I think they apply today. Suppose that we say, as a tenet of wisdom, that knowledge is not for delight of the mind or an end in itself, but a packet of treasure to hold and employ for the good of mankind. A torch or a candle is barren of meaning, except it give light to men as they climb, and theses and tomes are but impotent jumble, unless they are used in the building of time. And truly our endless researches need yoking with man's daily problems and strife, for beauty and truth have virtue and value, confirmed by their uses in practical life. I feel the best possible use of what you are learning this education will will be to your family. The back windows of our home overlook a small flower garden and the woods which border Little Cottonwood Creek. The north side of the garden is the gable end of another part of the house. Except for a large window in the middle, this wall is thickly covered with English ivy. Every year, this ivy has been the nesting place for house finches. They are small birds dressed as drably as sparrows, except in the springtime when the male puts on a bright red cap and neckerchief as his costume for serenading that he will do during the nesting season. The male house finch is one of the best soloists in the bird world. The nests in the vines are safe from the foxes and raccoons and cats that are about at night. Then one day there was a great commotion in the ivy. Desperate cries brought eight or ten finches from the surrounding woods to join in this cry of alarm. I soon saw the source of the commotion. A snake slid partway down out of the ivy and hung in front of the window just long enough for me to jerk it out of the ivy and slam it against the ground. The the middle part of the snake's body had two bulges, clear evidence, convicting him that the snake had taken two fledglings from the nest. Not in 50 years that we have lived at home had we seen anything like that before. It was a a once-in-a-lifetime experience or so we thought. A few days later, there was another commotion covering the vines of our dog run. Same cries of panic, the same gathering of neighborhood finches. Now we knew what the predator was. A grandson climbed onto the run and pulled out another stake, still holding tightly to the mother bird it had caught on the nest and killed. I said to myself, what is going on? Is Eden being invaded again? <laughs> we do not destroy snakes every time we see them, for they help to control insects and rodents. But we would learned a lesson this time. For years, I had thought the vines were perfectly safe for the birds. But the lesson was too much to be obvious, too clear to be obvious. I reflected upon Adam and Eve, the serpent in the Garden of Eden, as recorded in the book of Genesis. Now, if this story of birds and serpents is an unpleasant way to begin a sermon and makes it uncomfortable, it was meant to do just that. I have read the plain spoken words of the prophets. Some of their teachings are not always comfortable to read, but while this example is Uh, unpleasant to talk about. I hope that the principle will be more plainly understood. There came into my mind the warnings spoken by the prophets. We will not always be safe from the adversary's influence, even within our own home. We need to protect our nestlings. In order to do that, we must first acknowledge that Satan, the devil, lives, what his purposes are, and what his intentions would be, and what our defenses should be. He was lying in wait in the sacred grove when the boy Joseph entered. No doubt Satan was hoping to forestall the Restoration. He was quote an actual being from the unseen world who had such marvelous power as the boy Joseph had never before felt in any being. We know that we are spirit children of Heavenly Parent on earth to receive our mortal bodies and to be tested. We live in a very dangerous world that threatens those things that are spiritual. The family, the most fundamental organization of the Church, is under attack from forces seen and unseen. The adversary is about. His objective is to cause injury to the family. If he can weaken and destroy the family, he will have succeeded. The scriptures tell us to fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fill them who is able to destroy both body and soul. We also know that prophets have said that Satan cannot take one sparrow or one finch out of the nest unless we permit it. Paul warned and Timothy warned uh, that—and notice how perfectly this warning describes what's going on around us now—this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own self, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Let me repeat that. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection. Let me repeat that, without natural affection truth-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Are of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women? laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. These verses serve as a warning, showing us the patterns to avoid. We must be ever watchful and diligent. But Paul also gave us the key to our protection. Speaking in the same chapter, he identified the healing power in this small phrase that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to which make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus in Second Nephi we are warned therefore woe be unto him that is easy in Zion woe be unto him at that credit all as well Yea, woe be unto him that hearkened unto the precepts of men, and denied the power of God and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Yea, woe be unto him that saith, We have received, and we need no more. I spoke of the wickedness of the secret combination and the wicked man coming among us. He warned us that they would be with us in our day, and said, when you shall see these things come among you, that you should awake to a sense of your awful situation. Wherefore, I, Moroni, am commanded to write these things, that evil may be done away, and that the time may come when Satan may have no power upon the hearts of the children of men, but that they may be persuaded to do good continually, that they may come into the fountain of righteousness and be saved." Do we need any more evidence to understand that we are at war with the adversary? The revelations teach how to win that spiritual war. And again, I will give unto you a pattern in all things that ye may not be deceived. For Satan is abroad in the land. He goes forth deceiving and the nations. Wherefore, he that breatheth the spirit is continued the same to company of me in mine own ordinances. The Lord called seventy men and sent them forth. He gave them authority to teach and instruct and how to combat the forces of evil. These seventies came back and returned. And the New Testament says they, they marvel with joy, saying, Lord, even the devils have subject unto, us, or subject unto us thy name. And the Lord replied, Behold, I give unto you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. We have the names— of these Seventies that were called at the time of Christ. Stephen, the martyr, was one of them. And Nick Namor also died at the same time Stephen did. He was a Seventy. Much has been done to prepare the Church and its members to resist the forces of evil. We live in a day of revealed direction. I've been witness as a general authority to the changes that we have are revealed from time to time in order that the Lord might better edify his children. For example, when I first came uh, into these circles of the Church, there were seven presidents of the 70. And they were the first council of 70, the seven of them. And uh, other 70s were in stakes. That pattern of orga- organization served its purpose for a time. As the church began to grow and move abroad, more quorums of 70 were required to minister to the branches and wards and missions and stakes across the globe. And much had been changed over the years. The seventies and the state quorums have been the state quorums have been discontinued. Instead there are now eight quorums of seventy with eighty five general authority seventies and two hundred and eighteen area seventies assigned to the work. Each of those seventies have had conferred upon them the apostolic authority. Their role is to instruct and edify the leaders, members of the church. To build and strengthen fathers and mothers in their sacred role as parents and leaders in the home. They strengthen the parent and including single mothers who need and deserve the watch care that they can receive. The seventy go where the twelve is limited by their number cannot. The seventies are scattered across the world as they were in the early days of the church. When you look at the map of the world and where they are, it's just dotted with the identity of Seventies who are serving now. One who holds the office of apostle, Seventy, patriarch, high priest or elder, carries the consonant priesthood authority held on earth, the Melchizedek priesthood, or the priesthood after the holiest order of God. From the accounts of the Council in Heaven, we learn that God is our Father. We are His children. We do well to always remember Him as our Father. We are instructed to address Him as our Father which art in Heaven. Our Father delegates to His priesthood leaders a commanding authority to preach, to teach, to minister, to bless. Joseph Smith taught that the wicked spirits have their bound. Now listen carefully. The wicked sp- spirits have their bound and laws by which they are governed and controlled. It is very evident that they possess a power that none but those who have the priesthood can control. Joseph Smith also taught a principle crucial to and important to everyone, particularly those holding the priesthood, fully understand. He said, we came to this earth that we might have a body and present it before God in the celestial kingdom. The great principle of happiness consists of having a body. The devil has no authority, and herein is his punishment. No body in therein is no punishment. He is pleased when we, he can obtain the tabernacle of man. All beings who have bodies have power over those who do not. Let me say that again. All beings who have bodies have power over those who do not. The devil has no power over us, only as we permit him to have. Satan cannot seduce us by his enticement unless we, in our hearts, consent and yield. Our organization is such that we can resist the devil. We are not organized so we would, if not organized in that way, we would not be free agents. The agency defined in the scriptures is a moral agency, which means that we can choose between good and evil that every man might act and the principle pertaining to futurity according to the moral agency which we have given him, that every man might be accountable for his own sins in the day of judgment. We feel free to choose our actions, our responses to life's events and challenges, but we are not free to choose the consequences of those actions. I must say something about tolerance. Tolerance is a virtue, but like all virtues, when exaggerated it transforms itself into a vice. The permissiveness afforded by the weakening of the laws of the land to tolerate acts of immorality immorality, does not reduce from that agency. Consequences that result from the violation of God's law of chastity. Let me say that again. We who have bodies have the power and authority over those who do not. And we are free to choose what we will, to pick and choose our acts, but we are not free to choose the consequences. They come as they will come. Alma taught that the Lord cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. In order to understand, we must separate the sin from the sinner. While the Lord cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance, he is not condemning everyone because of sin. For example, when they brought to him the woman taken in adultery Obviously guilty, he dismissed the case with five words, go and sin no more. That is the spirit and letter of his ministry. We are born with the light of Christ, a guiding influence which permits each person to recognize right from wrong. For behold, the Spirit of Christ is given to every man that he may know good from evil, Wherefore I show unto you the way to judge, for everything which invites to do good, and persuade to believe in Christ, is sent forth by the gift and power of Christ. Wherefore ye may know with a perfect knowledge it is of God. But whatsoever thing persuades men to do evil, and believe not in Christ, and deny him, and serve him not, then ye may know with a perfect knowledge it is of the devil. For after this manner doth the devil work. He persuadeth no man to do good, no, not one, neither do his angels, neither do they who subject themselves unto him. Teach yourself and teach your families about the gift of the Holy Ghost. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are." The Pearl of Great Price begins with an account of Moses being shown all of the creations of God. This great vision came to him, and Moses learned by that lightning experience the great difference between being in the presence of the Father and the presence of the imitator, the adversary. There's instruction in this account from the Pearl of Great Price. After being instructed by the Lord and having seen all things, the presence of God withdrew from Moses, and he was left to himself. And it came to pass that it was for the space of many hours before Moses did again receive his strength. And to man, like unto man, and he said unto himself, Now, for this cause I know that man is nothing, which thing I never before had supposed. Meaning he was completely humble, completely reduced, and in that circumstance, during that time, it came to pass that Satan came tempting him, saying, Moses, son of man, worship me. Moses refused, noting the difference in glory between the Father, whom he had just seen, and Lucifer, the fallen son of the morning. Moses said, Who art thou? For behold, I am a son of God, in the similitude of his only begotten, and where is thy glory, that I should worship thee. For behold, I could not look upon God, except his glory came to me, and I were transfigured before him. But I can look upon thee in a natural man. Is it not so surely?" In consummate arrogance, Satan angrily demanded, demanded, I am the only begotten. Worship me. Moses was frightened. But when he received his strength, he commanded, saying, Depart from me, Satan, for this God only will I worship, which is the God of glory. Satan did not leave. Two times more, he ordered him to leave. Both times he remained. The third time, Moses invoked the ultimate authority and commanded Satan to depart. He said, In the name of the only begotten, depart hence Satan. And it came to pass that Satan cried with a loud voice, and weeping and wailing and gnashing his teeth, and he departed hence. Moses learned something about himself and about the Lord and about the limited power of the adversary through that experience. Each one of us has to work through a similar testing. The scriptures tell us, Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is in God. That we might know the things which are freely given to us of God. For several decades, I have watched the changes in the church to restructure and clarify the focus on the family. Family home evening was encouraged by the first presidency in 1915. The first manual was printed in 1965. Then in 1970, all auxiliaries and agencies of the church were instructed to set Monday aside, Monday evening, for family home evening. Family home evening accommodates a man who holds the priesthood, the father of home, to preside over and instruct his children, his wife, and the children's mother as his helpmate. And the single mothers are given that authority. At this side, fortifying the home with their combined testimonies, that mother and the single mother is never far from his watch care. Family home evening is not just an ordinary routine program of the Church. In 1995, that great document, a proclamation to the family, the family, was presented by all mem- was prepared by all members of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. It speaks of gender set before birth to be protected and never defiled. The hope is that Latter-day Saints will recognize the transcendent importance of the family and live in such spiritual, attentive way that the adversary cannot steal into the home and carry away the children like that serpent did those innocent, nestling fences. Our homes are most vulnerable. Therefore, the consummate power of the priesthood has been given to protect the home and its inhabitants. It is not an easy or small thing to be a presiding officer in the Church or in the home. The Father has the authority and responsibility to teach the children and to bless them and to provide for them the ordinances of the gospel and every other priesthood protection that's necessary. He is to demonstrate love and fidelity and honor to the mother before the children, that they can see that love. The great plan of happiness provides that an ordinary member can be extraordinary just by obedience to the laws and ordinance of the gospel. We can find safety and security for ourselves and our children by honoring the covenants we have made and living up to the ordinary acts of obedience required of the followers of Christ. Other simple individual acts of obedience include prayer, scripture study, temple worship, payment of tithes and offerings, acceptance, and faithful fulfillment of calling. Isaiah said, the work of the righteous shall be peace, the effect of righteousness, quietness and the assurance forever. The peace is also promised in the revelations where the Lord declared, if you are prepared, you need not fear. Some of you have come today with heavy heart regarding the welfare of a wayward family member, son or a daughter, grandson or granddaughter. Some of you have been denied the privilege of worthy companionship or even an opportunity of marriage. Some have been denied the privilege of parenthood, but it is not finished in mortality. Let me remind you that fear is the opposite of faith. Be hopeful, faithful, and prayerful. Lucifer will not succeed. I do not believe that any righteous pleading prayers will go unheeded. The Lord has said, While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. I have come to know that faith is a real power, not just a verb expressing uh, or a belief. We have a body. Satan does not. We have faith. Satan does not. However much we suffer along the way, in the end, all and be willed. well. Parents should know that ultimately their children need not be lost. Prayers and service will be rewarded with the thing that they desire the most, the safety and welfare of their children. The revelations teach the glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. Light and truth forsake the evil one. We are commanded to bring up our children in light and truth. If we explore and understand the things of the Spirit, then we can find out who the enemy is and how to protect ourselves and our children. I pray that each of us here can come to know who we are, a child of God embodied in a physical body with attendant powers and blessings, that the gospel has been restored and the consummate power of priesthood is among us and that if you are righteous and faithful, he will answer your prayers, not always in mortal life. But we believe in an eternal pattern of progression under the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom we worship, and in reverence to the Father, who is our Father, the Father in heaven. I invoke his blessings upon all of us here that the knowledge of the gospel doctrine Will protect us and will arm us against any challenge that may come to us in our lives, and do so as a servant of the Lord, and in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.